Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Studies Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Now let us have our joke teller, Joey the Joke Teller, come up and tell his joke. Joey. Hello, everyone. I am Joey the Joke Teller, and I got a little special treat for everyone. Um, Today, I'm doing a joke sent by... Honestly, one of my biggest fans. Someone actually enjoys my jokes. And that lovely woman is Chris's beautiful mother, Carolyn. And she sent me a joke, and it's adorable. So enjoy. That's a mom joke. Yes, yes, my too. A genuine mom joke. All right. A, pi- a pirate walks into a bar with a paper towel on his head. The bartender asks, Hey, what's up with the paper towel? The pirate says, Arg, I've got a bounty on my head. <laughs> Thank you, Carolyn. <laughs> Recovered alcoholic, my name is Andrew. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Turn off all devices that might distract you from uh, this time. Uh, take this time to get connected to God. Uh, Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation. Thank you. 
this in the fog light prayer, so you can repeat after me if you don't know it. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Tom to come up to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. I'm Tom. I'm an alcoholic. Okay, spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in the book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personal personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could have seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in this light of our experience can recover provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have any difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is content prior to investigation. And that is a quote by Herbert Spencer. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. 
Um, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up. Uh, if you're sitting in front of Zoom, uh, maybe put yourself in a place where you won't be distracted by outside noises or people. Um, now I'd like to introduce Keith. This is his last session. Uh, he's been doing a great job. He's spoken to me a, a lot uh, through his message. So please help me uh, welcome Keith. Good evening, everyone. My name is Keith, and I am an alcoholic. And, um, yeah, I'm a little bit giddy that tonight's the last night. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you guys get my best friend next. I want to thank you, the group, for having me. Yeah, Joe. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Yeah, I might say it's not my favorite thing to do, but it's not about me. And, um, you know, I just am awed by what God has done in my life. Um, I also want to give a special shout out to Chris's mom, Carolyn, for the kind words, the kind messages that she sends me all the time. That's uh, it's been you know great to get that too. So, yeah, tonight um is the the final finale, and um I've been through all the steps, and I'm going to close with my story. But um before I pray, like before I speak, I always pray in my truck, and uh, just to get you know centered and prepared, and I always have the same prayer. It's to let me touch one or at least one person. If I can touch one person, then God has used me well. And um, I have an affinity for the newcomer. To you guys in the room, I'm speaking to the choir. So, yeah, I'm speaking to you, but I'm really speaking to the newcomer. Um, this year has been one unlike any of my whole 52 years on this earth. And, um, you know, this series is through by. The year is through by. It's almost October, which is crazy. Um, and two months is going to be the holidays. And so during that time of year it's a lot of people that go out so if you're new or you're struggling and you know hopefully my message is giving you hope in that if you surrender and do this deal this could be the best year the best gift you can give yourself and your family so with that being said um you know I came in uh to the program back in 2003 again no long war story because we all got different stories but they're all the same right if it if you were anything like me, you wanted to kill yourself when you got here. You wanted to die. I wanted to die when I got here. Um, God saw fit to put people in my life to, to get me where I am today. But I talked about her last week, and um, he put this woman in my life, this angel, Lorna. And uh, somehow she got a hold of Joe and John's business card, and she got me with them. And uh, July 15th is the day she came and picked me up out of a hotel room. Um, my prayer that night, and I'll talk about this a little bit, but I didn't believe in God. I wasn't an atheist, but I was more of a foxhole prayer kind of guy, and uh, God was my cosmic bellhop, so to speak. So when I was in trouble, I'd pray to him, and then when I got out of that trouble, I got this again. And uh, so my prayer was, Lord, please help me or don't wake me up. And um, he heard my prayer. And uh, July 15th, 2003, Lorna Mays came and got me and took me to this place called Solutions, and uh, I had never been to AA. I'd never been to treatment. I'd never, you know, I've heard of Alcoholics Anonymous, obviously, but I'd never been exposed to it. And so I didn't know what I was up for. I just know I didn't want to feel like I was feeling. And I didn't know I wanted to get sober, like, forever. You know what I mean? I just wanted the pain to stop. And I just wanted to take a break from that and, you know, figure things out because I did such a bang-up job of that for the first 30 years of my life. And uh, she took me to this house. And, um, again, I get poured out the car into the driveway and it's a big property and there's guys walking around there's a swimming pool I'm like I'm digging that there's a basketball court I'm digging that and uh I just thought this is it this is Florida this is a vacation right but uh little did I know 
that I was going to AA boot camp. And um, again, I don't want to sit there and make it sound like I dove right in because I didn't. I went kicking and screaming for the first four months. And I got with Joe, sat down on the couch for the interview. And, um, you know, he asked me some questions. Was I done? I said, yes. Um, are you willing to follow the directions? I'm, I'm like, yes. And he said, we'll see. And uh, that sort of pissed me off because, you know, he didn't know what I was feeling or whatever. But, you know, so my journey begins. And um, I'm in this place. I'm broke. I'm 35. I'm basically homeless. I have nothing. Like, I can, when Bill talks about that bitter morass of self-pity, quick stance switched all around me, scorecards reading zero, that lived for me. Like, that, man, that, that's where I was when I got here. So, you know, Joe gives me the big book and tells me to go read this thing called The Doctor's Opinion, and I'd never read that, right? I didn't know what an alcoholic was. I didn't know why I couldn't stop drinking and drugging. I didn't know why I kept getting DUIs. I didn't know any of that, you know? I just thought that I had bad luck, and I just thought the cops were picking on me, and I just thought, man, God sucks because he's, you know, keeps giving me this crappy hand in life. But I read this information, and um, it told me what my problem was, and I had never understood it because I've been called an alcoholic by my friends and family and, you know, jokingly sometimes and other times serious. And I took offense to that. Like alcoholic means loser. And that's who I was when I got there. So I took offense to that. But when I read this information for the first time in my life, I understood what my problem was. And it wasn't, um, it was genetic basically, right? I had this allergy of the body that when I put booze or drugs into my system, it set up this physical demand for more. That made sense to me because marrying my past to that information, it always happened, right? I'd go out with a set stuff to do, either a 20 or a six pack, two hours, whatever that set thing was going to be. And I had that intention to do that. It never happened that way. The 20 turned out to be a whole paycheck. The six pack turned out to be cases. Um, back then, Keystone, ugh, disgusting. Um, but it was cheap, though, so you can buy a lot of that stuff. Um, over and over again. That was my life. That was my life. But that wasn't the problem. If I didn't put it in, I couldn't get drunk or high. And I'd been stopped many times, like many a times. Got stopped when I went to boot camp for the Marines. I got stopped when I went to jail with those three DUIs. And every time I was stopped, I would say to myself, man, I'm not going to do that to myself again. I swear I'm not doing that again. And I meant that. But this crazy thought came into my head, especially when I was in jail on the 85th day, when I was getting close to getting out, it'll be different this time. Nobody will know. I'll just drink wine coolers or I'll just smoke weed. I won't do that. You know what I mean? And it never ended up that way. So I have this inception of mind to me. I don't have it. It gives me permission to put the very poison in my body that's killing me. And uh, that's step one. That's powerless. I was powerless over drugs and alcohol. I could not wake up in the morning and say, I choose not to drink today. That just didn't live for me. Because I'd say that, but by 12 o'clock, that feeling of uh, it was bad was like, you know what? It'll be... It wasn't that bad, you know? I feel better right now, right? And I do it all over again. So I get this step one done. And um, now I come to step two. And the step says this, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I cringed. I backed up. Um, I'm at this place. And I don't have a job. Mom's paying my rent. I'm still lazy. I'm still all these things. And uh, now you're telling me I got to believe in this God. But I didn't want nothing to do with God. And... uh the step doesn't say I got to believe right now. That's what I love about Bill when he says that. You know, you don't have to believe right now. Just put away your old ideas about this God thing, right? If I was done. And I, and I can't say that I was done. Because I, I told a roommate of mine, 
Billy Jackson, I'll never forget it, that my plan was to do four months at this place and then go back to just smoking weed because I didn't get in trouble smoking weed. And he looked at me like I was crazy. But that was what my thinking was. So, you know, just coming to believe. I didn't believe in God, but I was in pain. But I believed that Joe believed. And the book is very clear about no human power, right? So this is just for me. This is just my experience. Um, I put my faith and trust in him. I turned my life, my will over to him, right? So I get step one, I get step two. I can't, he can. What am I going to do? And I talked about it a couple weeks ago. This third step decision back then was so minuscule for me. All it was me saying I'm going to do the rest of the work, right? If you're a newcomer, the program of recovery is the book, the 12 steps. That is the program. It's not, you know, the fellowship. The fellowship is wonderful, but the actual program to change your life is these 12 steps. So for me, the third step was more of, I'm going to do the rest of the work. That was it. That's how, you know, small it was back then for me. It's much bigger today, right? So it says, turn my will, made a decision, turn my will, which is my thoughts and my life, which is my action of care of God as I understood him. And I just told you I didn't understand him. I don't want him. I don't know him. So I turned it over to Joe and John. And again, I wasn't all in at this time. I wasn't like diving into the four-step inventory. I was still, you know, sneaking around. I was still hitting on newcomers because I was a newcomer. You know, I was trying to find Mrs. Wrong in the rooms of AA. And uh, I wasn't working. Like, I was still doing life the same, just not drinking and drugging. I was undrunk. And Joe stepped all in that stuff. So we had battles back and forth. But, um... So the third step's done. I'm at this place for six months. Well, three months, it's, it's getting to the point where my, my rent is ballooning out of control. Joe is fed up. I'm getting kicked out that Friday. And here's where my recovery takes place here. And a lot of people don't know when they, that shift came, like when they actually dove all in and were 100% committed. But I, I'll never forget mine. Um, at the time, John owned Solutions. And he would meet Joe to get the rent money on Saturday mornings. So I had been told that week that if I didn't come home with a job or some rent money, I was getting kicked out that night. So that day, you know, like a good alcoholic, I was scheming on what I was going to do at 7 o'clock. I wasn't going to look for a job. I wasn't trying to get money. I was just waiting to, you know, figure things out. So I go to the 545 at the 101 Club. I'm watching the clock. 7 o'clock comes. I got to walk down the street to Solutions. And as I'm walking, it's like a dead man walking sort of thing, the, the slow drum beat. And uh, I know right now I'm going to be homeless. Like, literally, I'm going to have no place to go because I'm down in Florida. I got no family here. Lorna had, you know, hadn't talked to her. And um, I just, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I get to the driveway and I see John's car. John, the whole time I was there, had never been there on a Friday night to get rent. Never been there. So now I'm like, man, I'm going to get it from both barrels. I'm going to get it from Joe and John. I go in the house. Joe looks at me. He knows I don't have the money. He's already got it. My name crossed out the book and stuff. And uh, John sits me down and he looks at me and he, he put his hand on my knee because I guess him and Joe were talking. And he said, you know, when you get to your effing head that your word is the only thing you have in this world. That was it. It wasn't like get out, pack your stuff. He said, you go next door. And he didn't kick me out. And I, from that moment on, I shifted in everything. Right. The next morning I got up at four in the morning, and went to labor pool. That was my job for the next six months. Next morning I got a sponsor. Right. Started doing this four step inventory. The four step inventory is the first action step that I take. Right. It's the first thing I do that says I'm I'm in. I got some skin in the game. And uh, I wrote this four step inventory with my sponsor. And again, 
good sponsorship. It's not my life story. It's not a, a autobiography. It's none of that. It's a catalog. It's a list of all my resentments, harms, sexual harms, and fears. And uh, I did that, right? Um, for the first time in my life, I saw who you got to see when I showed up on the scene, right? I saw why my life was so screwed up, given who I was, right? I had no principles. I had no morals. You know, God doesn't dwell in the cesspool, and that's what I was. And again, I'm actually wanting to know God now. Like, that's amazing to me. Here I am 17 years later talking about God on a Thursday night. Wouldn't have happened 17 years ago. So I do this four-step inventory. It's done. I see, you know, that I'm not a victim when I get here. I'm not, it's not uh, anybody's fault. I was committed to having what I had, and that's what I had in life, nothing. And uh, so it's done, right? But nothing's changed. I just know myself a little bit better. No white light experience. No, you know, uh, none of that stuff. It's just <laughs> I know myself a little bit better. So now I got to do this fifth step. And, I, and, I, and I've, I've been jumping ahead looking at the steps, and I'm like, man, I got to tell somebody everything? We don't do that where I'm from, right? I don't trust everybody. I don't trust a lot of people. Hell, I didn't trust Joe all the way, right? So I do this fifth-step inventory, and if you guys are here, I'm sorry you guys are here again, but I left something off of it. But I told him a lot of stuff, but I didn't tell him everything. I still had a warrant for my arrest, and I wasn't telling nobody that. No, no one's going to know that secret because you might call the cops. You might turn me in, and I don't do well in jail. <laughs> so I do the fifth-step with my sponsor. Tell him most of everything, and uh, when we were done, he says, is there anything else that you, you need to tell me? I said, nope. He goes, you sure? I said, no. Go back home for an hour. Book is clear. Have, a, have I left anything out? I know I did, but it, I was, I'm not telling that part of the story. You know what I mean? I'm not telling anybody that, and uh, we're done with that. Right. So for the next couple months, I'm working on six and seven with the presence of God. I got a game plan. Joe had me doing 10 step work in step six. Right. In the morning I get up. I don't get up at the last minute. I get up a little hour earlier, go out communion with God, you know, ask God, you know, to help me with da, 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 da. Right. I want to change. I want to stop being a liar. I want to stop being lazy. I want to stop being all these things I uncovered in step four and five. And uh, slowly but surely I start to change. Right. I start to start keeping my word. I start to start being on time for things. And um, slowly but surely, this goes on. Now, during this time, when I was gone from my family, I, they hadn't seen me in seven years. And again, I wasn't one of those drunks or alcoholics who was a drag on my family. Like, I didn't go to treatment seven times, not putting anybody down for doing that. I didn't uh, steal from my mom, none of that stuff. But I did steal time from her, right? Seven years, her not knowing if her oldest son is dead or alive. Very selfish of me. Brothers and sisters didn't know if I was dead or alive. Nobody knew if I was dead or alive. So my first amends, as I'm doing this six and seven, about five months in, Joe says it's time to go home. And uh, very scared of that, you know, because, again, I used to try to perform and make everybody at home think I was this hot shot. You know, I was a Marine, and they called me. And when I first, before I came to Florida, I was in Georgia, so they knew I was there. But. When I left Georgia, they didn't know where I was. So going home for the first time in seven years, you know, that was a very scary thing. And uh, talked about it, you know, when I got put on the plane, I had a layover in Charlotte. And for me, when I used to book my flights, my layovers were the longest. I used to book them as long as possible because I would sit at the bar and I would just get lit up. And um, so I'm at this 
airport in Charlotte and I'm sitting there. I got a two hour layover and the thought comes, the fear comes, the obsession comes in my head and my mind starts talking to me. My mind wants me dead, right? I didn't know that back then, but my mind wants me dead. Even Stone Cold Abstinent is telling me things like, you're a loser, you're a liar, you need to take the edge off. You're in Charlotte, nobody knows. Look around, take a couple of drinks, you'll be good. And uh, that was that start, start, thought started coming into my head. And I, I don't know what happened, but for a moment, I thought about it. And then I got it, like, what are you doing? So I got up, went to the bathroom. I'm in a major airport, packed. I go into a stall, and I get down on my knees, right there in, front, in the bathroom in front of all these people. And I pray. And the prayer was, God, please remove this thought from me. Please remove this obsession to drink. And he did, right? So I get out. And I go back to my, uh, my gate, and I sit there, and I fly home. When I get home, I did my, uh, my amends a little bit differently. I got a big family, so we gathered at my grandmother's house, and I told these people everything. I did a fist step with them, right? Talk about vulnerable and bearing your soul. Embarrassing. But I didn't care, right? I didn't care what it was. I didn't care what it looked like. Told them everything. And um, they heard something different. They heard somebody different, right? And it wasn't. I'm sorry, mom. You know, it was, I was wrong. I was wrong for doing that to you, making you worry about me for seven years. I was wrong, Howard and Kimberly, for, you know what I mean? So that was it. And when it was over, it was so, such a healing process, right? And this thing is all about relations, relationships. And I, from that day forward, my family unit has been different as far as our relationships go. And uh, wonderful thing. So I get done with that. I come back to Florida. Again, I'm at this halfway house for three and a half years. That was my address, right? And during this time, you know, I was told not to date, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. So I would, you know, talk to girls or whatever, and let's go back to your place, and I can't bring you back to my place. But I would tell you I got a pool, I got a basketball court, I got a tennis court, but you can't see where I live, you know what I mean? And um, that was my life, right? So I'm at this place for three and a half years. I got a job now. I got a better job, making eight bucks an hour. Get another job, making 11 bucks an hour. And I started saving money and saving money and saving money because now it's time, right? I'm thinking it's time to uh, spread my wings. And, uh, but God had other plans. Um, I don't know about you, but when I got here, my life had no purpose, right? No purpose. People go through life looking for a purpose, right? John taught me that if I'm an alcoholic or drug addict, my purpose has already been declared for me. Is to get sober, right? Like sober, not abstinent, but have this spiritual awakening, spiritual experience, and then to go back in and find somebody who's lost and bring them out through this step process. That's my purpose today. And that's what Joe told me. So during this time, you know, I'm about to move out and stuff, and um, Joe comes to me one day and says, John's about to retire and he wants to move home to Tallahassee. How would you like to become partners with me in this place? This place? And I was like, absolutely not. Right. I know how I treated Joe when I got there. I know how hard-headed I was and how he had to drag me along. And I see him doing that with all these other guys. And uh, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to devote my life to this. You know what I mean? Even though this has saved my life, I don't want to commit to that. So as I go about my day and, and, you know, talking to my people in my support group, I tell them about the offer and everybody had the same answer. What are you, stupid? Why not? So I said, okay, Joe, I'm in. Right. So we do that. John retires and now I'm partners in this place. But again, 
I'm starting to take credit for my life that I have today. I'm starting to take credit that, oh, I own a sober house, and I'm sober four and a half years, and I'm starting to judge guys. But I'm not sponsoring guys because I own a halfway house, and these guys are my sponsees, but they're not really because I'm not sitting down one-on-one with a guy, you know, and the ego starts creeping back. The recuperative powers of the ego is amazing. And um, Joe sees this, right, the, my best friend in the world. Like, it's important to have somebody in your corner who can tell you the truth and, and you know what I mean, like stick your, his foot up your butt. And Joe is that for me to this day. So we're going about our things. He's starting to see, you know, old ego creep back in. And I'm not giving God any credit. I don't even talk about God. Even when I speak in meetings at that time, I wasn't talking about God. It was all about me and I, 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 and what I have today and all this stuff. Now, mind you, I don't have a license. I don't have a car. And I'm living in a halfway house, right? So Joe in his infinite wisdom sees this. And again, I know it sounds repetitive for you guys who've been here the whole 11 weeks, but for the guys who weren't here and don't know, um, we went to go hear Russell speak at the one-on-one club back then. It was like 200 people in, in that place. And all week long, Joe had been asking me to go to church with him. And, uh, I was never going to church like that. That's an old attitude idea. I believe that I had that that was, you might talk about God to me, but I'm not going to church. And the church you want me to go to is the biggest church in South Florida, Calvary. And I'm like, absolutely not. That guy's a hypocrite, you know, driving around. I'm thinking he lives out in Parkland in a big mansion or something. This guy lived in Coral Springs or whatever, you know what I mean? But um, Joe had wanted me to go to church with him, and I'm like, no. Now, mind you, up to this point, Joe has never lied to me. He's done nothing but help me, right? He's done nothing but take me from a bumbling, stumbling bum at 35 to four and a half years sober and in the process and, and, and sober. And uh, here I am still still playing hardhead and still wanting to run the show. And uh, he wanted me to go. So that Friday we had a little fight. I went out with a buddy, you know, had another aha moment and said, all right, Joe, I'll go just this once. That way you don't have to ask me again. And he said, that's all I want. Just, just go one time and you don't have to go back. I go to church that su- that Sunday, Easter Sunday, and it was like they had a camera in the house. It was all about what we were going through that week. And I was blown away by it. I'm telling Joe, man, that was awesome because he wasn't preaching down to us. They had music for the first 20 minutes, and then it was a 20-minute sermon. It wasn't an all-day affair like I was used to growing up on Easter Sunday from 9 to 3 and uh, starving, you know what I mean, and people falling out with the tongues and shit. None of that was going on. I'm like, we were, we were eating breakfast at 1030. I was like, this is awesome. I'm in, right? So... <laughs> That's what we did, you know, and that's how I do my, every Sunday now until the coronavirus started. But so get done with that. Now I'm, I'm, I'm back in. I'm all in. You know, I start to get sponsees. The house is not my, my mission. Now I got sponsees. Um, then Joe comes to me one day and says it's time. He never asked me in all these years why I don't have a license. And I never thought about that. Like he never said, Keith, how come you don't get a car? Got money saved. Little did I know he already went online and saw my record and saw that I had a warrant for my arrest. I didn't know that was a thing, that I can just look somebody up on sheriff.org. He saw the warrant. He said, it's time. Now, this is for you people out there who have warrants. I know that's shocking. We have warrants when we come in here. But um, that's part of the process, right? This is part of cleaning up the records of my past. And uh, so God in his ultimate chess player move i got a lawyer my family's there i go back to georgia and i take care of this amends right i go back to court they give me some time 
I go to jail and uh, I get out. I'm a free man. And, and here's the thing. I get out thinking I'm going to get my license back because I went to jail. No, the clock doesn't start ticking until you take care of that. So I had to wait another five years for my license. Now, in the past, I would have drove because it's my, my right because I fought for my country. Right. That's not how the law works. So God saw fit that every job I had was within walking distance of solutions. My mom bought me a nice bike. That's what I did. I didn't care what it looked like. Whatever. Right. Fast forward. Step 10. Four through nine all the time. Right. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I've only done one four step in my whole 17 years. And I used to say that you don't have to do more than one four step. But a dear friend of mine told me that's not true. Right. Some people do annual cleanings. Some people do semi-annual cleanings. And I probably need to do another four step. But uh, during this time, it's four through nine all the time. So I don't put stuff back in because now I'm sober. By step 10, recovery is taking place. That's why these guys talk about I'm a recovered alcoholic, because recovered means. I'm going to always have the allergy of the body. Right. But my mind is recovered. My mind doesn't go back to what that drink did for me. It does goes back to what it did to me. And I recall from it as a hot flame, so recovered. So I haven't had, I'm a recovered alcoholic, right? I don't announce myself as that because people used to argue about that stuff. And the book is very clear. We recovered from this thing, right? So one through 10 is done, man. And it doesn't take a long time. Pat does a meeting on Thursday nights now, the back to basics group. They do this go through the books in five weeks, right? That's how quick this thing could be for us. So now I'm done with that. I got some sponsees. I'm doing the deal, you know. But again, my ego wants me dead, and I start taking credit again for this stuff. I'm um, maybe like nine, nine years sober, and uh, I was never one for committed relationships. I wasn't. I was always anti-marriage. Still am, I would say. But um, God put an angel in my life, and we were together for a long time, and that ended but again I did things with her that you know I normally wouldn't have done in the past she walked her path her way I walked the path where we had seven programs but we were one in the same right and talked about her a couple weeks ago I got to make an amends to her I don't think she's ready to hear it yet but in God's time that'll happen right so step 11 sought through prayer and meditation and improve this conscious time kind of with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will first and the power to carry that out how am I seeking this thing um, again, for me, church is a big thing. Music is a big thing. Um, we do this meeting in our home group called the, the uh, sanctuary meeting where we sit there for an hour with a guided meditation. And uh, I build this inner sanctuary where I can go to God at any time. Right. I never talked like that before I got sober. Um, Step 11 is big, you know. This God, you know, the book talks about deep down in every one of us is the fundamental ideal of God, right? Page 25, the central fact. Is he the central fact in my life today? Yes, he is, right? I don't go out bragging about it, but I know what side of the bread my butter, my bread's buttered on. You know, I know that without him, I don't have anything today. And so I always try to, try to you know, get close with him. Me and Mike were talking before the meeting about, you know, old school AA and <laughs> me working on my character defects and, you know, all that stuff. I can't work on my character defects, you know. I can just show up and let him do what he's going to do. And I just got to want to be a better person because of him. Not, you know, in spite of him. In spite of me, I want to be a better person because of him. 
And so I'm still doing that, right? I don't go out here and, 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 and brag about God or nothing. I mean, when I'm sitting down with a one-on-one with a guy, yes, this is all about God. But I'm not one of those guys who are out there preaching the Bible and preaching at people and stuff because to me, there's somebody, they're selling something, right? That's just my opinion. You know, we've had guys come in our house who are, you know, from prison and they're jailhouse preachers and stuff and they can't stay sober. You know what I mean? Um, so then I come to step 12. The biggest promise of them all. This promise throughout this whole step process, but this is the biggest promise, right? Given who I was when I got here, right, the last 72 hours out there, I come in and you tell me, Keith, if you follow some simple instructions, right, not suggestions, if you do this, this will happen, right? Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to other alcoholics. What message is that? That's the message of this meeting right here and meetings like it like literature-based meetings. When I speak from the podium, I give you a little bit about the problem, but I tell you how I got this relationship with God. And I tell you how I got my job at SCP. I might tell you about the truck I drive. I might tell you about any of that other crap. The message is how I got this relationship with a God my understanding that solves all my problems, not just my drink problems, right? And uh, I've been um, blessed to do a couple of these things. You know, I'm not good at it, I don't think, but... Um, during one of my, my talks, the first time I did it, you know, I had a traumatic experience. But I got through it. God got me through it. It went well. The next time I did it, did it in Boca, went all right, you know. And again, the message is, who can I help? Who can I touch, right, to give them a little bit of hope, right? Don't look at me and say, you want to work in the pool business. No. Don't look at me and say any of that stuff. Say, this man was a broken man, homeless, and in 17 years, God has done for him what he could never done for himself, right? All because of God. And if he can do it, I can do it. And um, it's, it's amazing. My life today is one of, I like how Peter calls it invitation, right? Like I was, when Mike called me about speaking here, I didn't want to do it, right? I wanted to say no because of the coronavirus. <laughs> That's crap. I go to work every day. <laughs> I'm around people every day. But coming here, no matter what kind of day I've had, I'm around these guys and they, they, bring, they bring me up and stuff. You know, my best friend's coming here next. The book talks about being reborn, right? And I remember coming in here saying, I just want my old life back, Joe. Just give me my old life back. And he would look at me like I was crazy. Like, why would I want that mess back? given who I was and what I was. There's a buddy of mine at work who, um, you know, he just celebrated two years on my birthday. He called me, um, I mean, I'm not telling the story because I don't take credit for it, but this is how God uses us, right? He, um, drinker, the whole time I've known him, 10 years drinking, in and out, in and out. And I never preached a program to him, right? I never said I own solutions. I never said come to a meeting with me. None of that, right? It's not my job to pronounce you an alcoholic. As a matter of fact, let me help you get beaten and broken to come into this meeting, to the, excuse me, to this program. So one day he calls uh, my other coworker, who he grew up with down in Key West, and called him crying, right? And uh, so my buddy calls me, and he tells me, yo, so-and-so just called me crying, man, looking for help. And I was like, get out of here. Because this guy is a performer. Like, it's all about what I got. And 
all this stuff. And I go, get out of here. Really? So I call him up and I say, as Joe did to me, again, nothing's original. <laughs> Are you done? Yes, I'm done. I said, we'll see. <laughs> so I go pick him up, bring him to our place. He came to our place and I let him know straight up. I said, listen, we're friends at work. You're my employee, but here, total separate deal, right? You're a client. We're going to show you how to live. We're going to show you how to not, you know, be as selfish as you were. Are you in for that? Yes, I am, right? Kicking and screaming like me, right? He's just like me. And I didn't judge this man because I used to be very judgmental when I got here. Like, if, you, if I go to a meeting and you're speaking and you're not talking about the steps or whatever, I'm character assassinating you after the meeting. Like, character assassinating you. That's all ego, you know? Because maybe that's all you were taught. So you're just repeating what you, you were taught as I am up here. So I don't do that. So with him, you know, took him through the work. And uh, it's amazing. Like in the 12-step work, there's nothing more satisfying, I don't think, is to sit down with a new person, right, trembling when you meet them, right? Have you ever been through the work? No. AA doesn't work. Have you ever been through the work? No. Well, let's sit down and go through this book together. And as you go through the book, page by page, you just see the aha, the lights coming on. There's nothing more satisfying than that. And I did that with this guy, like every time, right? So we get to the fifth step and uh, shared some, some stuff. And um, his story was similar to mine. And I told him what I did and all this stuff. But I'm big on not crying. I don't cry. Like, I don't, <laughs> I just, I don't. But to see him, like, all that stuff coming out of him brought a little tear to my eye, right? And that was God working with, between us. So now I tell you that story to tell you this. So he comes in beaten and broken. Now here he is, two years sober. He goes down to Key West, that's where he's from, to pick up his medallion on his dad's birthday. His dad's birthday is the same day he got sober. I don't know if he planned that, but it is. His dad's like 87, and uh, he wants me to go down there to hear him speak. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not driving four hours to hear your story. I know your story, but uh, I'll be there in spirit. But I'm just telling you that story to tell you that. <laughs> I'll tell you that story because God... If he can get me sober, get this guy sober, put us together, because the book talks about there are people, we are people who normally wouldn't mix, right? I wouldn't know you guys without AA. We just didn't hang out in the same similar circles, you know? But we all got the same affliction, which is we can't stop, can't stop starting once we stop, and then we got the same solution. But the question is, and Joyce always asked me this, what do you want when I, when I first got here? What do you want? And it was always, in the beginning, it was always, you know, I just need to get that job back. I just need to get that car. I want a nice woman, nice house, right? What success to you, Keith? All those things out here, <laughs> right? Financials. Then he brought this to my attention. And again, I never heard stuff like this. We never talked about stuff like this. This word called Legacy. What's your legacy going to be, Keith? And I talked about it last week. And again, I didn't have a legacy. I didn't, know, I didn't even know I wanted a legacy, right? I didn't know I wanted people to think of me a certain way. Like, I cared what you thought about me before. Now, I, don't, I mean, it's none of my best what you think about me, but we did this exercise about going to your own funeral. Who's going to be there, Keith? Nobody was going to be at my funeral 17 years ago, right? What's going to live in the hearts and minds of other people knowing you, right? 
Have I touched somebody? Have I done something for somebody without telling somebody about it, right? Have I touched a soul? Have I brought God's child home to him, right? Or brought him closer to him? That's a hell of a legacy, right? Given who I was when I got here, a taker. It was all about me. What could I get out of you? And now here I am speaking at a meeting on a Thursday night. Here I am helping to put somebody's hand in God's hand, right? Taking no credit for that, right? I don't take credit for that. I got employees at work. They all know I'm in the program, every one of them, right? I shout it from the rooftop. My customers know. They come in. During Christmas, they give us bottles of liquor. I take all the bottles. One year, I had like seven bottles of alcohol. Got in my truck and drove down Atlantic going towards A1A. I must have ran into about five homeless people or drunks, as you would call them, Christmas. <laughs> can I have some money? No, but you can have this. <laughs> right? And the guy, the guy lit up like a Christmas tree, right? <laughs> lit up like a Christmas tree. Man, I felt good. And here I am. I think I might be killing these people, but I don't know. But I gave them some joy for a minute, you know? But that, <laughs> that's what it's about. I was on Facebook, and I'm going to get off of that because I saw this disturbing documentary the other day called Social Dilemma. That's another story. But um, <laughs> there's this guy and his girlfriend walking or driving around town going to like restaurants, Starbucks or whatever. And they would bless whoever waited on them with an extra tip. Like he would say to, to the person, hey, just ask Siri to pick a number between 1 and 100. And it would say like 88. And the dude would say, tip yourself 88 bucks. I'm not balling like that, but I, the spirit of the, what he was doing, you know, made me think like, yes, we're all God's children, especially in the A, but what am I doing out there? You know what I mean? I'm basically a walking, talking endorsement of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And uh, that, just, that just made me think, like, do I, I want to do that? Like, bring somebody joy doing that? Like, whatever it is, right? That's not me. That, that's not me. When I got here, that's all God, right? That, that can touch me in a way where I want to do that, right? I don't know. If you're new and you're struggling, there is a way out. I was talking to Mike before the meeting, like I think it was like two or three years ago. Again, I'm sober a little bit, and uh, but there's more I can learn about this book, so I want to sit down with Mike. So we sat down for maybe a month or two, and then we stopped, or I stopped, right? I would say that's ego. I don't know what that is. But I told him I want to go back through it again. Because this thing is all about growing. Continue to grow. Continue to grow. Continue to grow. The, the more I'm sober, the more narrow the road gets. Right? And, and Willie B said it, this lady from the Big Book Seminar. She wants to keep learning because green things. She wants to remain green because green things grow. Right? So there's been guys who've taught me stuff who've had two days sober. You know what I mean? And, and that's a wonderful thing. The, the minute I think I got this or the minute I think I know everything is when I'm a dead man walking, right? So I just hope and pray that somebody out there who's dying, sick, and suffering and struggling hears from me a message of hope and say to themselves, you know what? I can stop this train right now. I can get off right now. And that's the cool thing about recovery. You can, re- you can recommit at any time or commit at any time. Right. Just because I'm sober, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. It's just not. I'm still a broken man. I'm still a raving lunatic, especially at work. 
You know, I talk about God right now, but man, there's days I work where there's nothing but the devil inside of me. I'm a raving lunatic. Only thing I'm not doing is not drinking. But I got all the isms, you know. But then I know I got to go back to him, right? And so with him, anything is possible. And to get to him, if you're an alcoholic, you got to go through this process, this purifying process. And it's here for all of us. And I would just like to say um, thank you to the group for having me. Thank you guys for coming tonight. And uh, Mike Chase, I definitely love you. I love all of you. Thank you so much. Let's thank Keith one more time. Thank you. Uh, now I'd like to invite up uh, Joey Switching Hat Secretary for the Secretary Report. <laughs> hey. <laughs> All right. Uh, I am uh, Joey, your Recovered Alcoholic Secretary. Hey, guys. Uh, before I do the Secretary's Report, um, Keith thanked us, but we want to thank him. Um, Keith? We want to present you with this custom limited edition <laughs> Chop Word Carry Water Alcoholics Anonymous Primary Purpose Brew mug. <laughs> Big deal. No, but thank you so much. You've been great. Oh, I, I've known Keith a long time and uh, coming in and out, and his message has only grown and uh, really look up to the guy. So thank you so much for your service, Keith. All right. And we just hugged again on camera, but that's God's God. It's fine. It's fine. All right. Anyway. Um, uh, all right. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And the baskets are going around in here, uh, but on... For everyone in Zoom Facebook world, um, just another reminder that AA.org is taking contributions at this time. Um, they definitely can use the extra money during these COVID times. So just go to AA.org, follow the links, give online, get those credit cards out, and give to the beautiful program that has given us all so much. Um, all right. Um, now at this time, I'm going to have James read the recovered statement. Thank you, James. Uh, we, we, we read this. Um, Keith noted in his, um, in his message that we say recovered alcoholic. We still got that physical allergy. We are not cured by any means, but I'm going to let James uh, go more specifically to that. Thank you. Uh, James, recovered alcoholic. Recovered, we are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, James. 1940-style Big Book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of, alcoholic, <clears throat> of alcoholics who came to A and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. 
What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. At this time, I'm asking for a show of hands of all you recovered alcoholics. We've got quite a few hands raised. Um, Now, at this time, um, anyone that needs a sponsor, um, either here or in the Zoom Facebook world, uh, please lift your, or I guess Zoom, because you get it. Uh, (laughs) You can see them. Um, Please raise your hand if you need a sponsor at this time. Um, and all you recovered alcoholics, if you see a hand raise, send them a message and uh, try to get them to God. All right. Um, yeah, thank you all for joining us. Oh, please join us Monday night's Big Book Study Meeting in here. Um, primary Purpose Group, it's on the mug. Keith got presented. It's a great time. Um, it's where the Big Book comes alive. We got Old Bill. We got Mike Chase. We got Doc possibly maybe maybe not i don't know it's a good time come and see um fellowship is at 6 30 big book study starts at 7 15 um yeah come on in uh as well another way to support this lovely program we do have cds mugs large room big books little red books and big book dictionaries for sale on your local intergroup website go over there say hey how you doing uh meet the people keeping this beautiful fellowship and program alive and, and go buy some stuff, huh? It's nice. It's nice. All right. We meet. Oh, we meet every Thursday next week. He's best friend, the myth, the legend, the Joe Bear. Um, our, we'll be here. And uh, we're very excited about that. Um, and he, you will see his bright, shiny face starting at 7.15 p.m., 6.30 here in the Zoom room. Um, Come on by. We ask you to be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you. See you next week. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Joey. Appreciate that. Um, We have tonight's sessions and all other past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to re-invite everybody to our Monday night big book study. And for those here who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up near him. <laughs> um, <clears throat> let's, uh, let's have a moment of silence, and then we, we'll close with the Lord's Prayer. Who woke us up this morning? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. See you all Monday or next Thursday.
possessions that I have amount to nothing at all. Shining through, but 
Cause I ain't baby And be happy again Yes and keep on smiling
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. See the light. 
song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.